Everybody on the planet is agreed on one thing, and that is the world is not quite the way it should be. I don't know anyone, no philosopher, no ideologue, uh, no partisan person, no, no politician, uh, no religion, no civilization, society, or culture. Nobody out there gets up in the morning and says, everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be, don't change everything. Everyone is doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, don't change anything. Every relationship I have is exactly the way it's supposed to be, don't change anything. I have never in my life and never will meet that person. Everybody believes there's something not quite right, and that not quite as it should be-ness of the world then gets a name. And again, every, this is where we diverge. Every religion has a different name for the disease. Every philosophy, every ideology has some different way of describing here's what's not quite right. But everybody agrees something's not quite right. The Bible offers the strangest and most unbelievable and daring and therefore true account of the answer to that question from the very beginning and the story of people named Adam and also Eve. In Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 and 17, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Three things I want you to notice that set the stage for the story. First of all, the story actually begins in love. This is, this is one of the first very daring things the Bible claims. Actually claims it in the very first chapter of Genesis. God makes things and he says, it's good. He makes humans and he says, it's very good. And that was the last person to ever say that. Right? No one else looks at the world and says, this is great. The rest of us say, what's wrong? God looked at it and says, this is good. Because there was a time, this is the claim of Scripture, when things were just as they should be. There was a time when a loving God put us in a pristine garden and said, I am providing for your every need. Here it is. Just live here. Just be there and be loved. Then we're given a vocation, a purpose. Human life is not aimless or random or purposeless, but rather purpose is written into who we are. God knew that the way he made humans is that we would not be very good without something to do. Still true. If you want a proof of that, go down to the children's wing, take over a Bible class, and don't give them anything to do. If you weren't sure, you will now know, as a matter of scientific fact, empirically proven, people without anything to do get up to mischief, and we start young. Okay. So God says, here's what I want you to do. It's going to be real easy. I have created a perfect garden. Just, you know, keep it that way. Be a gardener. Take care of things. Walk around in the cool of the day and see how things are doing. Tend things that need tending. Do some work. You have a vocation, a, a task, a purpose, a calling. And then this other gift that's stranger still, it's the most beautiful and terrifying of all the things God ever did for us, and that is he also gave us a choice. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put one tree in the garden that offers you a choice. I have given you everything you need. I have given you a purpose. 
but in the terrifying love of God. He says, I love you enough to also give you the choice not to do any of those things. And so if you want to opt out, if perfection just isn't for you, if you want to choose something else, there is one tree with one fruit. If you eat it, you have chosen against life. Life is what you've got, right? Perfect garden, perfect people, perfect choice, perfect vocation, perfect everything. That's life. God says, if you want not life, here is your choice. Okay? And that was a kind of gift. I know it seems strange in a way, but it's a gift to say, I love you enough to give you the choice to choose something that would be terrible for you. Please don't do it. But I love you enough to give you that choice. The story begins, human identity, if we go back to the story of Adam, begins with love, vocation, and choice. And then things begin to go sideways in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Is that what God actually said? And if you read the text, I'm skipping a few verses for sake of brevity. The woman says, yeah, that's literally exactly what he said. And Satan says, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan attributes to God his own nefarious motives. He says, actually, God has not given you the best. God has not loved you the way you think he has. God is keeping something from you. You have within your grasp the ability to be just like him, and he won't let you have it. You won't die. Take this fruit, you'll begin to live. You will be as God. And with that, as the story goes, uh, we make that choice. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. First part of the story we learned was the story begins with love, vocation, and choice. Second thing we learn is Satan is a liar and we are failures. My favorite internet meme is the one that has the picture of an easy job that somebody did wrong and said, you had one job. It's a line I, I routinely, Lucas is already laughing, that I routine, routinely say to my kids when they do something wrong, you had one job and you didn't do that thing. And that's, that's the headline that should go over Genesis chapter 3. You had one job. You can literally do anything you want but this one thing. And we couldn't help ourselves. We said, yeah, that one thing seems pretty great. I want to do that one thing. Satan played a role in it. There is real evil in the world. There are ill motives in the universe out there somewhere lurking behind the curtain. There is actual evil. Satan is a liar, and he wants to harm us, but we didn't need a whole lot of help. It turns out we are failures. And this is then the crazy answer to the question. The question was, what's wrong with the world? And Genesis makes this ridiculous claim that no other ancient religion ever dared to make. All the other ancient religions says, well, I'll tell you what's wrong with the world. The gods are out to get us, and we just got to live through it. Genesis says, God loves you. You are what's wrong in the world. It's our fault. It's our failures. We came up short. 
And then what do we do? We try to blame someone for our failures. Listen to the text that follows. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. That the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, it's not my fault. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. We could pause there and say, we've learned something else about humans. We are failures, but we're pretty sure it's not our fault. Okay? Always somebody else's fault. For Adam, don't miss it here, by the way, he not only blames Eve, that's pretty low, he also blames God. That woman you gave me, mm mm-hmm. That woman you gave me, that's where the trouble is. I've heard that line before, I feel like. When the kids do something especially bad, Celine will say, your son has done, it was our kids yesterday. Mother's Day, it's your kids. Trouble Day, it's your son. This woman you gave me, she told me to do it, and I just did it. So God turns to the woman What is this that you've done? And she says, well, the serpent, there was a talking snake, and I had to do what it said. Right? No further explanation. I mean, that's a wild part of the story, all on its own. Why is a snake talking? I have lots of questions. But he said, you know, snake said something. I had to do it. Serpent did it. So the Lord said to the serpent, and what he does, he starts with the serpent, and what he does is he attributes to everyone a role and a responsibility in this story. Each one of you did something each one of you has a consequence. This, this is, these are not even punishments for what it's worth. I'm quite convinced of this. Not a single punishment is administered in Genesis chapter 3. Every one of them is a consequence. This isn't God being punitive and saying, you did this and here's the penalty. Folks, if you grab a hot stove, it burns. That's just a consequence. God says, you picked this. This is now the result to the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Serpent, you picked a fight with the God of heaven. And you did it by trying to hurt humans. He says, here's the consequence. You will lose. Enjoy this moment where you feel like you really pulled one over on me because you will lose. You will fail. And the very people you tried to harm are going to be the source of your undoing. I will bring about a human child, the offspring of woman, and you'll try your best and you will fail. And he will win. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. For woman, he says, you know, you had a vocation. This beautiful idea of Eve as the mother of all living, like there was something for you, a paradigm, a role model of what you're going to be. And God says, that's now going to be difficult. Because of this thing you've introduced into the world that we as Christians later will start to call sin. Oddly enough, the word sin is not used in chapter 3. First time the word sin is used in chapter 4. But for what it's worth, that's what we're talking about. He says, because you've introduced this into the world... Everything you were supposed to do, 
still has to happen, but now it's going to be harder. You were supposed to be a, a mother. Now, mother, mother, it's going to hurt. You were supposed to be a wife. Being a wife is going to be tough. The relationship between husband and wife is fundamentally damaged. You ask me why our marriage is hard. This is why. Well, there's other reasons. We can get down to the nitty-gritty of selfishness and pride and envy and jealousy and all the things we do badly together. But God would say, this is why. Because you brought something into the world that made every relationship poisoned from the start. None of those relationships are what they are supposed to be. To the man, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Adam was always supposed to work. He was always supposed to have a purpose. He says, now it's going to be hard. Everything you were supposed to do, you're still going to do, but you've picked the hard way. Everything will be difficult because of this choice that you have made, and it will be so for all your posterity. And pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you turn to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I said, why are relationships hard? This is why. Why is human fulfillment and meaning hard? Why can't I get satisfaction out of my career, or out of my achievements, or out of my accomplishments? This is why. God says, nothing I intended for you is ever going to be exactly the way it was intended. And this is why. Therefore, the Lord God sent them out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. What we learn then in that, that part of the story, back here with Adam, is that sin damaged our vocation and damaged our choice, but not God's love. There were three things at the beginning. God's love human purpose, vocation, and choice. Sin has now damaged two of those permanently. I can want to have good relationships all I want. They're all going to be difficult. That choice has been taken away from me. There are things, even my power to choose is less than it was. There's wickedness in the world, and it haunts us. All our purposes, all our choosings, damaged by what was introduced to the world in this story. The only thing that's unblemished is the fact that God still loved them very much. And there was nothing they could do to change that. Even in these curses, the very first one, remember he starts with a serpent. He says, this is my promise, you will lose. You are trying to destroy these people and you will lose. I will not allow it. In Romans then, chapter five, Paul is going to do what we're trying to do in this series. In fact, this entire series is basically this. Read an Old Testament story and then ask Paul what it means. And what Paul's going to do for us in the New Testament is to say, here was the point you were supposed to get from your holy history. This is what it tells us about ourselves. In Romans chapter 5, 12 through 14, uh, 14, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. First of all, by the way, side note. Whenever I teach Genesis 3 to a group of men, they're always very quick to point out, you know, Eve. <clears throat> Eve was kind of the problem there. Right? Woman was the problem there. I know you don't say it in front of your wives, but you say it when they're not around. I've heard you. It's really easy to read Genesis and say, you know, 
Eve started this mess, which oddly enough is exactly what Adam said, right? How very Adam-like of you to say this is Eve's fault. But when you read Paul, never does Paul ever blame anybody but Adam. He consistently says, I'll tell you who brought sin into the world. It was Adam. We could spend 30 or 40 minutes trying to figure out why, but I'll give you the short version because he doesn't want to repeat Adam's sin and blame somebody else. He says, this is on us. We did it. Adam and Paul. Let's take ownership of the problem. We did this thing. One man, a man a lot like me, brought sin and death through sin into the world and it spread to all of us. I love that word, spread to all men. What does that make you sound like? What does it sound like to you? This, this one's easy. In a year after, you know, global pandemic or whatever, it sounds like a disease. It sounds like something entered the world and everybody got it. And Paul says, that's kind of what happened. Sin entered the world and then like a contagion, all of us fell prey to the same thing. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. He says, yeah, I know, not all of you here were in the Garden of Eden. In fact, I'm going to say, none of you here were in the Garden of Eden. None of you were offered a fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and none of you ate of that fruit. Paul says, I recognize you didn't do the same thing Adam did, but you did. That all of us, even though we found some other way to rebel against God, every one of us reproduced in our own way the sin of Adam. Every one of us participated in the problem. What is wrong with the world? What does holy history tell us? The holy history tells us that we live in a world that is haunted by Adam's sin. It's in the background of every relationship, of every obstacle, of every challenge, of every hardship and every failure of life, there is this lurking specter of the story of Adam's sin that we then imitate time and time again. What's wrong with the world? The Bible says, here's the crazy answer, you are. And that's why you want to blame everything else. I'm really glad the sermon isn't over there because that would be really tragic. What Paul says, though, is some good news. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. He says, you remember the rest of that story? Yes, there was a curse, but there was a promise made. Satan would not win that the offspring of this woman that he had deceived would win. And Paul says, we live in the time where we can see it. Where that one man, wounded by Satan, but not defeated, could have victory. And by one man, sin entered. By one man, the gift of life. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought forgiveness, brought justification. Therefore, as one trespass, the story over here, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Here's the good news. 
For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Holy history names the disease and offers us the cure. It says, in Christ Jesus, God has reversed the story of Adam. He is the other bookend of history. He is the other half of the story. And he has made it possible for what went so horribly wrong and continues to be horribly wrong in every one of our lives to be made beautifully right. We live in a world, even now, being redeemed by Jesus Christ. And thank God for that. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Our Father, draw us to you and help us to see the story of your Son, Jesus Christ. Humble us, each son of Adam and daughter of Eve. Bring us to know our part in the tragedy of human history. Bring us to repentance. Bring us to know what we have done. But more than that, bring us to know what you have done. That in all that, you never stop loving us. And even now, through your son, Jesus Christ, are working to make us right. This we pray in his name. Amen.